This is false and defamatory, the impact of defamation and weaponized social media. Trigger warning, this podcast discusses topics related to emotional abuse, gaslighting, verbal abuse, threatening language, cyberbullying, intimidation tactics, and thoughts of self-harm which may be triggering for some listeners. The content includes descriptions of manipulative behavior, psychological distress, body shaming, online harassment, and other forms of abusive behavior and emotional trauma. Please take care of yourself and consider your mental and emotional state before listening. If you need support or someone to talk to, please seek help from a trusted friend, family member, or mental health professional. Thank you for listening. After I left, in the first few days, weeks, I just felt so stupid. I had promoted this woman and her company for years at this point. I had spent $28,000 on the clothes that she sold. I posted almost daily on my social media, definitely since I was employee. I would post whatever outfit, write the name of the product so that people could find it. Just heavily, heavily promoted her business. A lot of my family and friends had started buying from her, a ton of them actually. And this was embarrassing. I didn't even know really how to tell them because how do you explain being so excited about a business and so excited about a person and supporting them in a year and a half's time to quitting without notice and going no contact. I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed that I didn't leave through all of the red flags. I was embarrassed at how much I had put up with. I didn't tell my family or friends or my husband all of the crazy things that were happening. One of my toxic traits is I will try to hide those things about people so that other people don't don't see that and don't think badly of the person. I just felt really stupid and I was just so embarrassed that I had promoted her so heavily. And now I knew there would be questions just even from my own family and friends because of how much I talked about it and posted pictures. They would be asking me about it sooner or later. And I was very embarrassed. I felt guilty for leading anyone to her sphere. It was just a lot to kind of process mentally. And I also think that's one of the reasons that I kind of stayed for so long. And I kind of justified, well... You're going to look like a big freaking idiot because you have talked about this brand for years and then you left and now you're not going to buy the clothes anymore. And what are you going to say to people? And those thoughts were in the back of my mind. I think one of the reasons that I didn't leave when all of the red flags were happening is because in between those, there was love bombing. There was amazing, big, grandiose things that would happen. The defendant one time called me, I think she maybe FaceTimed me and told me that she had a surprise. And um, I'm like, okay. And I was smiling. I knew that I needed to act happy. I didn't know what was coming. And she said, I'm taking you to get your eyebrows macrobladed. And at the time, I didn't want my eyebrows macrobladed. <laughs> I didn't. Also, my little sister did microblading. And so if I was going to get my eyebrows microbladed, might it make sense that I would have gone to my little sister and supported her? I also didn't need for the defendant to pay for me to have my eyebrows. Like I never asked for that. I I didn't, I know that's something that she did, but also it just kind of felt a little weird. She told me that her eyebrow person wanted to give her a free microblading and then she could post about it on her social media, kind of a trade thing. And the defendant was like, well, I don't really need a touch up right now, but could I bring someone else? And so she chose me. It also really felt like the reason that she was giving me this, because I never even talked about wanting it. It was like, something's wrong with your face. Your eyebrows are not pretty. Let me fix that for you. And I didn't hate my eyebrows. Most of the microblading has faded now. These are pretty much my eyebrows. There's a little bit of shape to it, but I was fine with my face. I was fine with my eyebrows. I didn't really want this, but she was very hyped about it. I didn't know how my husband was going to react. 
my husband is from a third world country. They don't have microblading there. That is just, it's just not something that I was thinking that he would like or enjoy. And so I was kind of nervous about it, but it was very apparent that I needed to be excited and grateful that she was doing this. She filmed the whole thing. I don't even know if she ever posted everything she was supposed to post about it, but she did film it all. And then I had told her that I was worried about what Caesar might think. And while we were there, she took my picture. And she sent it to him and she's like, your wife is so beautiful. And I think he responded and said something like, yes, she is. She was beautiful before. Not ugly. Maybe he said like, and stunning today or something like that. Anyway, and so we went on. I remember when it was time for me to go get them touched up, she would say, no, don't make an appointment. I'm going to take you. I'm doing this for you. And I remember telling the other employee, I was like, I don't need her to pay for this. Like I can pay for this and it's time for me to to go get them touched up, I don't really want to wait for her. And so I scheduled my own appointment and I went and got them touched up and that annoyed her. She felt, I guess, I don't know what she felt, but she was annoyed with me for that because I didn't wait for her. And I think she kind of maybe even made some digs the fact that I had paid for it and I wasn't going to have to. But again, I wasn't asking for a handout with that. Also, she at one point told us that she had gotten us all concert tickets to go see Lizzo. She was taking us to see Lizzo. Um, but she was super hyped about it. And it wasn't like a, hey, do you want to go? It's a, we're going, I've got the ticket. There was a bunch of us that went. We all needed to pick an outfit, you know, and all this kind of stuff. I did have a genuinely good time. And it wasn't just a Lizzo concert. I think it was like Jingle Ball or something. There were lots of artists. Can't recall the other artists, but it was fun. We went, but it was just another, we're going to go have fun kind of a thing. For my 40th birthday, we were in the heat of COVID. My birthday is in April. COVID had started in March. And I was very sad because my husband had asked me what I wanted for my 40th birthday because it's a big milestone. And I had told him, I just want to be a really big deal on my birthday. I want lots of attention, lots of birthday wishes, you know, all that. And I just, you know, I didn't really care about the present. I just really wanted a big deal to be made about my 40th birthday. And of course, that was before COVID hit. And so because we were in the middle of COVID, I couldn't have a party, obviously, but it was really sweet. My husband had contacted a lot of my family and friends and asked them if they would kind of do a drive-by and just wish me happy birthday from their car. And it was really funny because as the day went on, I could see that he was looking at his phone, which is not something my husband is not, he doesn't do that. He doesn't check his phone for notifications all the time. And I knew he was anxious about stuff. And so then when the people started coming and driving by, it was just the sweetest gesture. And he had also taken me outside and he had had all the neighbors make signs and they put them in their yard to wish me happy birthday. And it was honestly the best birthday gift that he could have possibly given me in the middle of a pandemic. And that night, or I guess, he had texted the defendant and the other employee that I was close with and a couple of other of the employees, I guess we're supposed to all come by together and do kind of like a, you know, all like a, a choo-choo train of people at the same time. And I learned later, I guess they were waiting for the defendant to confirm a time they never did. And so none of them ever ended up coming by, which was fine. And then right before midnight, the defendant shows up honking her horn in my driveway. Her husband was there. Her family member was there who worked with me and they were wishing me happy birthday. She brought me a lot of various gifts that were sparkly, which I love. And it was really nice. And it seemed like she had made this grand gesture and she was the only one of the people that I worked with that came. And then later I found out that they were waiting on her to confirm a time. And then I guess they just, they didn't know what to do since she never confirmed, but she made sure she was there right at midnight. I think I even posted about it on my social media. Like, of course she's coming in at the last minute because that was a very customary thing for her. At one point, I believe it was on my one year anniversary of working for the company. She did give me a raise. And it was more than a 10% raise. And that's generous. Like when you're giving people raises over a 10% raise is a lot. However, my starting salary wasn't 
indicative of what I could make in another job. So yes, she did give me a raise and that was very nice. It just still wasn't in the ballpark of the kind of salary that I could have commanded with my knowledge and experience in the industry. But she did take me out to lunch to celebrate my one year anniversary of working for her and other employees came. She had everyone go around the table and say, you know, what they loved about me or something, something really sweet and nice. And it was great. And then I believe it was at that same lunch, she said, I have a surprise for y'all. It was for me and a couple of the other employees. And again, start smiling, get excited because she's going to make this big grand gesture. You better love it. And so she says, we're going to New York City. And that was the surprise. And so I was kind of waiting for the next, like, for why? Why are we going to New York City? Remember that I'm the workaholic of the group. I'm <laughs> I'm like, when are we going? How long are we going? Are we going to be, you know, doing a photo shoot while we're there? Is, is this a girl's trip? When is it? I need to obviously check in with my husband about the timing. I had questions, but I knew get excited. Like you have to get excited. And the other girls weren't as excited. I was trying so hard to be excited. And the other girls, one of them was Steph. And one of them was the other employee that I was close with. They just weren't as excited. And so the defendant got a little irritated that we weren't having the reaction that she wanted. I don't think she had a big blow up about that, but she was visibly annoyed. And so I was trying to overcompensate for any other lack of excitement from anyone else. But I honestly don't even think that I was doing a great job of manufacturing my excitement. So in between all of the horrible things that I endured, there were these really amazing, nice things. And I think when you are on that roller coaster, when you are pushed to the point where you really don't want to take anymore, and then something like that happens... You're like, well, you know, maybe I'm just being dramatic. Maybe it really wasn't that bad. At least that's what I tell myself to not feel so stupid for staying through all of that. Shortly after working for the defendant, I was introduced to someone who had been her friend for a while. This person uh, lived in another state, but her husband. I think his job transferred to the area. So they were now living in DFW. And she started helping out at the warehouse, particularly when we were having to do night shifts and things like that. She was an amazing worker. Amazing. And as previously stated, productivity is my love language. She worked quickly, efficiently. She worked really hard. I think she had a high work ethic anyway, but also because the defendant was someone that she considered a very close friend, you know, she worked even harder. And I just appreciated how hard she worked. And when we needed some additional help, I told the defendant, I said, I really would like to hire her because she's just she's just great. And so we did, and she worked with us. And after the... Fourth of July incident where I was berated for telling employees that they would have Friday, July the 3rd off because July 4th fell on a Saturday. That was really kind of the moment where I started trying to think about planning my exit. It was a precarious situation, but it was very evident that it was coming. At that time, there had been some tension between this amazing worker and the defendant with their friendship. I had witnessed and experienced the defendant kind of saying some not so nice things about this woman kind of behind her back. She had helped with putting labels on some things in a pantry and the defendant didn't like it. And so there was a little bit of that. There was this particular time when I guess there was some tension between them and the woman was very upset. She felt like she had done something wrong. And so she kind of confided in me. And, you know, she's like, the defendant is just so distant with me. And I don't know what I've done and all of this kind of stuff. Well, she was calling the defendant one day. And at this time, the other person that I worked with was working at the defendant's house at this time. And that was customary because once the home was built, it was close to this other employee's house. And it also she would work there. 
and then communicate anything that needed to be executed at the warehouse. And so we communicated frequently all day long back and forth, you know, to get things done for the business. And she had kind of told me that she was there at the defendant's house and this woman called and she saw that the phone said that that woman was calling. So this employee said, Hey, so-and-so is calling. Do you want me to answer it? And I'm told that the defendant said, I don't care if I ever talk to her again. She's like, I guess she was flustered and didn't want to be bothered. And that really just, just rubbed me the wrong way. Quite frankly, it, it just pissed me off because on one hand, I have this woman who I've come to be good friends with, and she's confiding in me, devastated, convinced that she has somehow wronged the defendant. She has done something to make her upset and is figuring out how maybe to apologize or somehow repair the relationship. And meanwhile, the defendant behind her back is just being kind of just not a good friend, I would, is in my opinion. So this woman, in an effort to, I guess, repair this tension or whatever, she actually dropped a care package by the defendant's house and knocked on the door. I learned the defendant was there, but at first she didn't answer because she saw that woman at the door and she didn't want to talk to her. I guess eventually, I think she maybe called her and she came back or something. This woman came to work the next day and was still just felt like that she had done something to the defendant to upset her. And she was just really confiding in me and asking for my advice. And I just felt so horrible because now I knew this information that she had called the defendant. This other employee was there, had told the defendant, hey, so-and-so is, you know, calling. Do you want me to answer it? And what the defendant had said about her that she didn't care if she ever talked to her again. And this woman is crying because the defendant's being distant with her. And I just decided that I was going to share that information with her. And I said, there is no part of me that wants to tell you this, but I really consider you to be a very good person. You are kind, you are generous, and you're so fun to be around. And you're just always happy and in a good mood. And you're over here beating yourself up. And meanwhile, your friend, someone you consider your best friend, you know, this is what they said. And obviously that upset her. And she told me that really upsets me. But for some reason, I'm not surprised. And so she kind of, I guess, started to reciprocate the distance that she had been experiencing and just wasn't very, I don't know, she still kept working, but she was hurt. And she really started to question her friendship with the defendant. And even after everything that's happened, I still stand by that. I don't know. I, I couldn't know that and then have her be upset and think that she had done something wrong and not tell her. I, I couldn't. I felt like I was lying by omission because I knew that and I wasn't telling her. So I told her and later that contributed to all of this nonsense. But after I left, I literally, the second that I left, I only live 0.3 miles from the warehouse. I got home immediately. I signed out of all of the work apps. I signed out of my Google account. I signed out of the, all any account that had to do with work, I signed completely out of it and deleted it off of my phone. Because as a prior business owner and just someone who manages people and is in operations, I know how important it is that when someone's no longer with the company, that they not be able to access anything within the company. And I was the person in the company who, if someone left, I was the one who was responsible for making sure that their access, you know, had been restricted. It's just a liability thing. It protects you and the employee. And so I figured that nobody would, you know, do that. And I really was trying to purge and rid my entire life of the defendant. I was so disgusted. Once I started figuring out that I really needed to leave and I needed to find a way to try to leave peacefully, I still maintained professionalism. And so later when she would post how she just had no idea that I didn't even like her, well, I would hope not. <laughs> I That would be highly inappropriate and unprofessional for me to have been ugly or rude to her in a work capacity. 
I do think that I was shorter with her. There wasn't any fluff communication going on. But I tell my own children, you know, when they struggle with authority, whether it be a teacher, a coach, or anything like that, I tell my kids, you don't have to like them. You don't. You do, you're not going to like every teacher, every coach, every band director. You're not going to like them, and you don't have to. However, they better not ever know that. Because you should respect the position that they're in. And even if you don't like them, as far as it depends on you, you be respectful. Obviously, that wouldn't pertain if there was an abusive situation going on. But I just let my kids know you're going to work for people and with people that you don't like. And that doesn't mean that you have a free pass to treat them the way that they treat you. We're not doing that. So I deleted everything, really just tried to purge her (laughs) off my phone. But I didn't unfriend her or block her. I didn't unfriend anybody from the community with the private Facebook group. There were over 100, maybe over 200 people that I had come to be social media friends with throughout the course of not only just being a customer, but also being an employee. It was very customary with the way that she ran her business that there was just a personal touch. She ran her business based on relationships and friendships. And so it wasn't uncommon for the employees to interact personally with the customers. That wasn't odd. But I also didn't want to raise any red flags. As far as it depended on me, I truly was trying to not leave in a dramatic way. So I just didn't do anything. I didn't unfriend anyone. I didn't announce my departure. That's not my business. That's her business. And I was her employee. So when she was ready to let people know if she chose to do that, that I was not there anymore, that was her place, not mine. Obviously, it kind of um, took a turn, but I was trying to be professional and respectful. So I said nothing and customers continued to message me, not a ton. There were just a few messages asking me about oh, do you know what this top is called? Or, you know, some things like that. And if it was something that I could answer, I just answered it. I did have a brand stylist or two contact me and ask me a question that had to do with information that I obviously no longer had access to. And it was a couple of weeks or a week or two after I'd left. And I just said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm not there anymore. I wish I could help. You know, but I didn't say oh my gosh, you're not going to believe. I said nothing. Do you recall after I had quit, we had stayed in touch. You, you know, we were friends on Instagram. We were friends on Facebook and you contacted me and said, I've got somebody that I know. I can't remember who the business was that is looking for social media help. And you said, Hey, you know, do you want their name or do you want me to give them your name? And what did I tell you? Uh, that you uh, couldn't work with somebody else right now uh, for a non-compete. Non-compete. So I didn't want to violate any sort of agreement that I had with a defendant. That wasn't my goal. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, was looking, I was going to be looking for something else, but I wasn't willing to go into kind of that same industry. Right. I resigned September 2nd Mm -hmm. of 2020. The other employee, I'm going to reference her from now on as H. H was still there. And then I believe the defendant asked you to come and help out at the warehouse. Boxes. Yeah. So it was going to be box day a couple of days before that or whatever. So I've gone to the warehouse several times uh, to do that for her um, when we were still friends. So I was in the back uh, doing boxes and H left to go to Panera for lunch. And so the defendant asked me to come into her office because she wanted to talk to me. So when H left the building, uh, the defendant and I sat in her office and she closed the door. She then pulled out her cell phone and pulled up her like a tracking app or whatever and made sure that the that H was like in her car and actually left the parking lot or whatever. And so once she knew that she was officially gone from the warehouse, she said yes that crystal had left abruptly and took all of her things and then started telling me that lately h and crystal had been talking you know at the warehouse and then she noticed that the two of them were talking through like clothes rack because they didn't want anyone to hear because the the cameras were at the warehouse i'm trying not to laugh as she's telling me because i just think that's absurd but i'm listening to her tell me i just want to 
clarify and make clear. The incriminating issue with me that she was accusing me of was talking to someone through a clothes rack. I just want to, that's, <laughs> that's what we're going with. I did not realize that was a crime that warranted the FBI mm -hmm. being called. So thank you for letting me know about that. I moved on with my life. I updated my resume, my LinkedIn. I started applying for jobs. I actually started completing some advanced level Excel because of course I did uh, certifications and things like that just to kind of brush up on my skills. When you work in corporate America for you know a long period of time, you're usually going to those trainings and things like that. I had worked for small businesses now for over half of my career. And especially, you know, hers was the smallest business that I worked for. And I didn't really have the chance to expand my skills, I guess. It was more kind of the basic things. And so I just wanted to kind of brush up on that. And I applied for this one job and started the interview process. I met with HR first. The first thing they did was confirm my salary and it was double what I had been making. And so I met with the COO. I also met with the person who would have been my supervisor. And when I met with the COO of this very large company, we talked for longer than had planned. And he said, you know, would you be interested in a different role? Because I feel like you're overqualified for this role. And I said, well, you know, tell me about it. And he said, what I need is I need for someone to go branch by branch because this company had branches all over the United States. He said, I need someone with your background and experience and capability. I would want you to go into each branch and, and, and analyze it. Tell me where it's inefficient. Tell me you know, where we need to trim, tell me, recommend improvements. I was ecstatic because it was almost like, even though it was a really big company, I was going to get to employ some of the things like it was a small business. It was just like a whole bunch of different small businesses, one at a time that I was going to get to analyze their processes and make recommendations to make them more efficient. And I was ecstatic about that. And so he said, I want you to talk to one more person and he would actually be your supervisor. So the other person that I had already met with, it was just for a branch. And he would have been my boss if I would have worked at that branch. But this was higher level. And so I interviewed with him. We had a great conversation. And he corresponded with me and said, I'm going to let COO know that we discussed. He did ask me a couple of um, functionality things in either the interview or the follow-up. And there was something that he was asking me about that I didn't regularly work in. I want to say it was maybe pivot tables. And that was just something that I, there wasn't a need for me to do that in the, you know, most recent years, but I had done it before. So I went ahead and completed a certification about that. And then I sent him an example of something that I put together just to show him, no, it's not something I have a lot of experience with. However, number one, I'm a very quick learner. Number two, if I need to do something, I will figure it out and I will figure it out quickly. He was very impressed. And the last communication that I had with him said, you should be hearing from HR or COO very soon if you have not already heard from them. And I had hired enough people to know and worked you know, professionally long enough to know that you'd better not say something like that to somebody unless they are going to get hired. Like you can't imply promises to candidates. That's not, that's just not something that you would do. And everything about that process led me to believe that I was about to get this job and I was thrilled. I did maintain contact with H and we remained friends. And I also remained friends with the girl who was upset at the defendant or with, you know, thinking that she had done something wrong. I, I maintained my friendship with her until things got weird. The girl that I was referring to, who I, I told her what I had been told that the defendant said about her because she was so torn up 
that she thought she had done something wrong to the defendant. I noticed that she, I don't know if she blocked me, but she definitely unfollowed me and removed me as a follower from her social media with no explanation. And I was like, what the heck? I mean, we had become very close to the point to where her husband had offered me a job and it wasn't something that I wanted to do because I didn't want to be in sales, but that was the only job that he had available at the level of pay that I would need. But we were very close. We FaceTimed often. I had birds at the time and something happened to one of my birds. And so she was always corresponding with me about my bird. We FaceTimed. She wanted to see the bird. Like we were very much friends. Then she ghosted me and I had no idea what was going on. So one night H told me, oh my gosh, I just was interrogated. I was confronted by both the defendant and this woman that you had told her that she was calling, I said, so-and-so is on the phone. Do you want to answer it? And the defendant said, oh, I don't care if I ever talk to her again. And the defendant was trying to deny that. And I pushed back and said, that's exactly what happened. And she said, I was interrogated by both of them. This other woman isn't buying it. She, at this point, I guess, had been manipulated back into, you know, 100% supporting the defendant. And now I was kind of public enemy number one a little bit, not a little bit, a lot of it. And I'm going, the heck? I mean, I was, tr I was being a friend to this woman. And so H, I guess, had been interrogated for hours. And so I figured, obviously, that's why I had been removed from that person's social media. Then I started randomly being removed as being social media friends with several others, one of which was the employee that I went to the day that I left and just said, hey, you know, if there's nonsense about me after I left, can you just use your own brain and remember your experiences with me and determine for yourself if what you're hearing is true because of the prior experiences that I had had where the defendant would basically slam prior employees. And this woman was no drama. I mean, she had an impeccable work ethic. She just came, did her work and left. She wasn't one that would be at the defendant's house. She wasn't like really friends with anybody outside of work. I just really admired her work ethic. And she was a great employee because she did not get involved in any drama whatsoever. She was great. And so the fact that she blocked me I was like, what is going on? And this is like the end of October. And I started becoming really paranoid because I could just feel that something was going on. I even downloaded an app that would tell me who unfollowed me and was blocking me because I noticed that my Facebook friends and my Instagram followers, which I had private, but I noticed that they were decreasing a decent amount. And I was like, she's lying about me somehow because all of these people suddenly blocking me, there's something going on. And I couldn't imagine what. I just assumed that she had finally told everyone that I was quitting and, you know, they were following suit. They knew that if somebody's out, you cannot maintain contact with them. The entire reason her operations manager before me was fired was because she was fraternizing with prior employees and you just do not do that. So I assumed that, but I also was sad. I was like, come on, you know, some of these people I can, I respected, I consider them highly competent. Why they would just, I didn't know what was being said at that point, but why they would believe anything to the point of blocking me on their social media Really, guys, really, we're going to, you know, how old are we? And so at one point, the defendant had some camera footage that she was showing people of me. And in this footage, I was angry and I was complaining about somebody. The defendant said that I was complaining about her because she, I guess, had come and gotten some of the items off of this rack and I was grumbling and complaining. In reality, I was upset with the vendor because I had told the vendor in advance, I need one in each size sent prior to the, the bulk of the shipment coming because we had a photo shoot. And when everything was hung up and I was going through with one of my spreadsheets, probably, I realized that she had only sent one and we needed two. We have two models. And so she just didn't follow the instructions and I was angry and I was grumbling in my office. 
but it had nothing to do with the defendant. Again, I was trying to run a smooth business. I, I was upset because I wasn't about to pay rushed shipping for their mistake. And I am pretty sure that I either had a strongly worded phone call or wrote a strongly worded email or something to this vendor because I was going to let them know you are going to send, you were going to pay to overnight this or whatever it was. So I have no doubt that there was footage of me being angry, but the defendant was twisting it to be that I was talking about her. I don't recall exactly what I said, but I recall the event and I was annoyed at the vendor because it was going to mess up our photo shoot. That was something that was circulating as well, but I still couldn't understand why something like that would have people unfollowing me on social media. One of the employees that I had worked with that had left prior, she used to be the defendant's personal assistant. And when she left, there was some drama, but she really tried hard to get back in the defendant's good graces and seemed to. But because she was the defendant's personal assistant, she saw it all. So we had lunch after I quit and she said, why did you quit? And I said, I'm not going to work in an environment like that. I'm not going to work for someone who treats me like that and who treats other people like that. And she empathized with me and she knew what I was talking about and validated my feelings. And she said, I know what you mean. We talked about, you know, potential jobs that I had. I actually told her the name of the company that I was interviewing with. I think I even screenshotted the email that said HR will be contacting you if they haven't already, because I thought we were friends and I was letting her know that I was getting a job. And she had even mentioned getting me a job where she was working. And she actually at that lunch said, have you read Gomi? And I said, I've looked at it because by that time I had. And I said, I've looked at it occasionally, but honestly, I purged my phone from anything to do with the defendant. And I don't care. I don't want to know what's going on in her life. I don't I don't want to think about her. And she said, I read there. And my boss, who was a former customer of the defendants, she said, my boss reads Reddit and we will screenshot back and forth and show each other messages. And she even showed me a text that she had between her and her boss sharing posts from Reddit and Gomi. And also at this time, I didn't use Reddit and Reddit's kind of confusing. I, I don't even recall when I found out about Reddit, but whenever the defendant told me about the troll blog, she had only told me about Gomi. I didn't know if I had left or maybe it was really towards the end when I found out there was another site that talked about her. So we talked about that. We talked about our issues that we had both had with the defendant. I told her kind of some things that had happened. We were friends. I was telling her everything and she had worked for the defendant and experienced the same thing. So we were just sharing. I recall on October 30th, I saw someone post, it was a customer who was really important to this customer that she have a personal relationship with the defendant. She wanted to have a personal relationship with us, but she very much wanted to be a prominent person in the defendant's life. And she made a post. And when I read it, honestly, I thought oh my gosh, she's talking about the defendant because what she was saying mirrored my experience with the defendant. And so I liked the post. And immediately after that, she blocked me. And I was like, what is going on? This is nuts. Her post said, it is so disappointing. You meet someone who seems so, quote, good, at least in how they front themselves to the world. Perfect parent, perfect faith, perfect presentation. And then you find slash see the life they choose to live in the hidden shadowy places with an evil malignant heart and a false name, lashing out, hoping to purposely hurt others. Hypocrisy is how they choose to live their life every single day. I prefer the company of those who are open with their flaws and blemishes. That is real. That is trustworthy. That is human. And shared a meme that said, the fallen angel becomes a malignant devil. The reason that I thought that she was talking about the defendant is when I was first introduced to the defendant and her 
community, the entire vibe that I got was women supporting women uplifting women and so that's what i thought that i was getting into and then when i did find out that wasn't the case it mirrored what this person was posting then when everything started happening and people were unfollowing me i was like okay there's definitely something going down and at that point i went through my social media and i just removed anybody that i had met through that community. And there were some when I removed them that I really didn't want to remove. But ultimately, I just decided to remove even the ones that I didn't want to because it was just better for me to get rid of them all and not worry about it. Obviously, I still kept in contact with Steph, who you heard from, and also with H that was still currently working with the defendant. And I kept in touch with a former model. She actually does my hair even now. But in terms of fellow customers or, you know, customers that I had just met throughout the course of working there or brand stylists, I just removed all of them. So we're about in the beginning of November of 2020. I have now removed any remaining connections that I had with the defendant or her community. I do think at this point, I still had the girl that I went to lunch with because I I thought that we were friends, but mostly everybody was gone. And so I just was uneasy. I don't know how to describe it, but the week of November 2nd is when things really got weird. H was still working with the defendant and we talked multiple times a day. Didn't have to be an in-depth conversation, but we did. And she had said that all of the election coverage was giving her anxiety. And it was just, it was so much. I mean, it was the 2020 presidential election. There was a lot. And being on social media at that time and seeing people posting their opposing views and attacking people. Yeah, I could understand that she had said that she wanted to maybe just not be on social media for a little while until the election was over. And so when she first started to get distant, I still felt uneasy, but I kept justifying, well, maybe she's just off social media. Maybe she's busy. I don't know. I thought it was weird, but I did try to justify it. On November the 4th, I got a voicemail from a vendor that was from the company. And obviously, since I no longer worked there, I forwarded it as a professional. I didn't want to just not respond and, you know, cause issues. And she responded back to me very, I don't know what to say, surface level, very generic, very not like we would talk. It was, oh, thanks so much. And that was it. And I was like, what is going on? This is so weird. And so I was texting Steph and I was like, something is up. She's not communicating with me. She's not responding. Like, what is happening? And Steph goes, yeah, she's not talking to me either. This is really weird. And Steph texted her and I don't even remember what it was about, but it wasn't about me or anything. It was just like, I think there was some maybe reality show that they both watched or something. And Steph texted her and was like, oh my gosh, such and such about so-and-so. I don't know, just to see if she would respond. I think that she did respond to Steph and then Steph texted back and said, OMG, you are alive. You know, Crystal is about to go into cardiac arrest because she's not hearing from you. What's going on? And she didn't hear back from that. And then everything just went completely dark. And then there started to be some really weird cryptic posts on social media from the defendant. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. The following week, I tried to contact H a few more times and I started to get a little bit exasperated. And I was like, okay, obviously there's something going on. I'm worried about you. Are you okay? Are you even alive? I said to Steph, if I'm blocked, Like, will the message still be blue? Like, what's going on? We were just trying to figure out what's going on. We were not getting communication from her. And then on November 13th, I was driving my son to school and I was passing by Walmart 
And I thought that I saw her. I thought that I saw her car. And so I did try to call. It went straight to voicemail. And then I texted and said, I thought that I just saw you driving. I don't know what's going on. I hope you're alive. Basically, I'm worried. I'm very worried about you. And that was the morning of November 13th. Obviously, I had no idea what was going to be happening in the coming hours, but it was something that I never could have prepared myself for. It would continue for more than two years, even to the time of this podcast recording. And I had witnessed the defendant already starting to weaponize her social media and her reach against me when all of these people were unfriending me and blocking me on social media, but specifically with the post that one of her top followers, I think on Facebook, it would even say top fan whenever she would be in the group when she posted that what I know now was directed at me about the fallen angel becoming the malignant devil. That was the beginning. I never heard from the company that was seemingly about to hire me ever again. The last communication that I had with them was right around the beginning of November. And the campaign of lies started publicly on November 13th. There's no way for me to know if they called my prior employers or what was happening. I had shared the name of the company and even screenshotted the email of the person with their email signature that told me that I was going to hear from HR if I hadn't already. I had shared that with the woman that I went to lunch with, the woman who told me that she and her boss would send screenshots of Gomi or Reddit posts about the defendant that they thought were funny back and forth to each other. I thought we were friends and I trusted her so much that I I wanted to share that I was excited I was about to get this job. Then the cryptic posts started. Next time on False and Defamatory. I had no idea what was going on. I was moving on with my life. It was a very, very, very strange, weird post. I was named in this post, specifically my name. The hate blog doesn't want trouble when 90% of the posts come from the same person. P.S. Crystal, I pray for your family's sake you get the help you need. Also, I'm not taking your son out of my will. I told the investigator that. This was a public post, visible by anyone. She went back later and tagged up to 100 people, which is the maximum people that you could tag on Facebook. Somebody has literally stalked me for several years before I even met them and then come to my business and tried to destroy it, then brags about it on the internet every day. They deleted incriminating things from everywhere. And Crystal, I wouldn't put this profanity out there if I couldn't prove it. Crystal would log in and out and talk to herself. This is when the public ridicule, threats, vitriol for me started. There's a special place for those two fools in hell. And Crystal, honey, you need some serious mental help because you are a sick F-word profanity. Another follower who's trying to explain what was going on says, bottom line, her assistant and right-hand employee and another employee, that would be me, were more than two-faced. They were downright evil. They were nice to her face, but running a hate blog about her behind her back for years. It's truly disgusting how these girls sleep at night. If only I knew where they lived. No evidence was presented, just the word of one woman with thousands of followers on the internet, posting a very long post on Facebook. All of these people not only believed her, but some of them publicly threatened me with their own name, threatened criminal activity, violence against me after one single post. The fact that I was reading all of these comments from so many people that I knew. Some of them, again, had been to my home. And it was scary because some of those same people were making physical threats. They knew where I lived. Oh, my God. For the first time in nine years. Well, how if you don't Google my name and the f***ing Gomi blog don't come up. You mean the hate blog with 1,590 something pages about me? That Crystal and talked about me for all these years? It's just not on the internet anymore? Should I give y'all a discount code? F-E-L-O-N-Y. I know. 
Jealousy is a sick disease. But the thing is, like, when you always tell the truth about stuff, you don't have anything to lose. The internet ain't crazy, mama. It's just a couple people. At the end of the day, there is no other victim here than me. So anytime you ever feel like anybody's, like, being mean to you on the internet, remember, it's one person with too much time, a whole lot of spreadsheets, and a lot of logins. It ain't slander if it ain't true. I quit effective immediately and went no contact. And that's all that I did. I believe that the defendant knew that all she would have to do was write big long posts and say all these things. And she knew that her followers would believe what she said and be on the attack. She made that post on purpose. She weaponized her social media on purpose to destroy my character and reputation. The False and Defamatory podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Crystal Wrighton, with music by Harry B. Ragsdale, who also serves as my audio engineer. First and foremost, I would like to thank my guests who generously shared their time and insight with us. I would also like to thank my husband, my mom, my children, my therapist, my attorneys, and trusted friends who walked with me through this process and made this podcast possible. Being able to finally speak the truth is incredibly healing, and I appreciate you listening more than I could accurately express. If you would like to continue receiving my latest episodes and stay up to date with my content, please subscribe to the False and Defamatory podcast on your preferred podcast platform and follow False and Defamatory on social media with the handle at False and Defamatory. Links to False and Defamatory social media as well as my blog can be found in the episode notes and on falseanddefamatory.com. Listening to the False and Defamatory podcast is free on most platforms. However, if you prefer a video podcast or would like to see the documents discussed in the podcast shown on screen, you can subscribe to my Patreon, where you will enjoy these benefits as well as early access, bonus content, and ad-free listening. The defendant spread her false and defamatory claims to hundreds of thousands of followers for more than two years. My goal is to share the truth so it can reach each person who heard her lies. By sharing this podcast, you can help me achieve that goal. Your support means everything to me and helps me reach a wider audience. So please, hit that subscribe button and share this podcast podcast with those you think would benefit from it. Thank you again for sharing and for listening. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the False and Defamatory podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by the guests are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the view of the False and Defamatory podcast or Crystal Wrighton. Please do not make any attempts to reach out to the defendant or her followers. Names have been redacted to protect the privacy of the defendant and her army of followers who commented on her public posts. The unanimous jury verdict has not only provided me with justice, but also allows me to share my story. The purpose of this podcast is to share the truth and to provide educational content regarding defamation and social media. If you have any questions about this or to view the documents discussed in this episode, please visit falseanddefamatory.com.